Kelsey Steele some time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. Welcome on in to Steal Some Time. Kelsey Steele, Scott Stewart, and Matt Calvo on board with you guys today. Welcome to the show. Scott Stu, how was your weekend? Obviously, the NFL was back. Did you catch any games? The Colts lost in Jacksonville, so I caught the one game that I will plan on watching all season. Just instant disappointment. Well, yeah. I'm sure we'll get into, into the Bengals. I think you probably experienced more heartbreak than I did, but just like, you got to love starting the season and then just feeling instantly disappointed by how the season <laughs> Listen, my, my motto is, if you don't have hope, you can't be let down. Mm, wow, that's so, both heartbreaking and true. It, you know, as a Cincinnati sports fan, I, I have to go into this realistically. And, um, you know, I, you're cautiously optimistic, you know. <laughs> you, can't, you can't invest too much in something that you know is going to let you down. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent. I don't quite feel the same pain as an Indianapolis sports fan, but it's like, it's adjacent pain. So I, I, I thought about you on Sunday when I saw it all go down, especially oh. with Joe Burrow's face. I was like, this is you just know, the personification of everything that's ever happened to Cincinnati fans. I have, I have really two things to say about it and then, and then we're going to leave it. But um, <laughs> I was so stoked to see, um, you know, Joe Burrow's debut, obviously. I've watched Joe play since he was 16 in Athens because that's, you know, where I went to college. So it was really like full circle moment to be able to see a, a small town kid kind of take the field like that and my, for my hometown team as well. So I just, that was super special um, for a lot of us. And I felt over, for the majority of his performance, I was extremely impressed and happy with what he brought to the table. And especially in that, um, in that run there, you know, under the two minute warning, uh, was very, very impressed with the way that he, he led that team down to the wire. Um, so if anything, positives coming out of Joe Burrow and the future of our franchise and that guy, um, my other thing is a kicker has one job and that is to get <laughs> balls through the field goal. Obviously um, we have an issue with that. Um, you got one job, you're on the field for like 20% of the entire game. Um, I don't feel sad. Don't, I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> so, it's rough out there. Right. And we got, we got Kenny Blankenship in Indianapolis now, but like even watching the decline of Adam Vinatieri over the last couple of years, like, yeah. pick that guy up and give it a try, but it, it hurts. Right. Cause you just, you, you throw it all in the bucket for the last couple of minutes and then you're disappointed. And it's just like, that's literally what you have to deal with until you play either next Thursday or Sunday. So it's just like pain, pain is real. We all felt it this weekend. Yeah. And then, you know, I had my, my really good friend who's a Browns fan, uh, you know, texting me and he's just like so upset and he's like, he's like, oh, I just, I can't believe we're this bad again. And I was like, you know, I like I we could be the Browns. There's always something worse. <laughs> so. I'm more surprised that he texted you and said, "I can't believe we're this bad," as opposed to I saw this coming from a thousand miles away. I, like, I just they can, get themselves so hyped up and think like this is the year for change. And I was gonna say, even when they feel like they've made progress, it's like you're. The, I'm sorry, you're the Browns. <laughs> like, exactly. You, you know your role, and you chose this. So just like. Sundays are going to be tough. 
Sundays are going to be tough and they're not letting up anytime soon. <laughs> NFL's in full swing. Um, it's also announcement season in full swing. So um, you and I had some setbacks this past week, but there are a few clubs out there who did not. And um, we cannot even get into the show without um, acknowledging the big news in USL championship circles this week. And it is obviously uh, welcoming Oakland Roots to the USL championship for 2021. So it's such an exciting time obviously this is something that's been in the works for a while and you know we've seen a little bit of conversation and speculation of whether or not they were officially going to to join the championship next season but it is official they announced at noon on Tuesday that Oakland Roots was going to be a part of the league moving forward um honestly Scott like this is just an exciting time I think for the the league to bring in a team that's truly unlike any other club in, yeah. in the country, in North America, maybe even if you want to stretch as far as the world, you can't compare them anywhere. They're, they're unlike any club, a very um, unique branding and I think mission when it comes to Oakland Roots. Um, you're going to see a club, I think, that is more involved in um, the social good and just doing things flat out differently than anybody else uh, in the league. So obviously we're going to have some special guests on later in the show to give us some more insight into that, but a ton of buzz in the, in the social media world today, uh, welcoming Oakland Roots to the league. Yeah, this has been a, um boy, what well, feels like a lot longer process than it even has been. Right. But it's yeah, just, like, yeah. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. They, they've, they live in this radical middle of like being super hyper local and like super Oakland and like zoned in on the Bay area, but also being like a very far reaching national brand who does things with common goal, which is an international thing. And they've obviously, you know, Jordan Farrell writing for the players tribune about just like how he feels this is Oakland's time to shine. And, they just, um, they're very artistic. They're very creative. Like the, the Ryan Maddens of the world will love having the art brand being brought into the USL championship, but they're also competitive and they've got a solid technical staff and they're going to bring some players with them to the USL championship. And it's just nice to see some more competition for some of the, the California clubs, but also just to welcome somebody to the Bay area um, to have a team in that region is just going to be significant for the championship as a whole. So Obviously, a huge welcome to Oakland Roots SC to the, the 2021 championship family. And um, yeah, now let's see what you can do on the field. We're excited to have them. Um, up the road from them, though, is, is a team called San Diego Loyal that just happened to have their debut this season. And before we get into the entire show today, there was a quote I saw this past week, Scott, that I just want to throw your way and get your expert opinion on because um, – I thought it was a bold statement by San Diego's very own Landon Donovan. So uh, hear me out I'm here. I'm so surprised Landon Donovan <laughs> said something, you know? I love, I love the confidence. Wait for it here. Okay, so San Diego hosted Orange County on Sunday evening this past week. 2-0 win, big, you know, big three points for his club. But afterwards, Landon Donovan said, and I quote, every game is like a playoff game because of the quality in this group. True. I've said from the beginning, this is the best group in the league. There is no question about that. And I listened and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. That's interesting. I wonder what Scott Stu has to, has to say about that. So, Scott, do you agree with our guy, Landon, Landon Donovan here? 
That's tough, right? I'm just glad he didn't say that dummy Scott Stewart on Steal Some Time last week said we weren't going to score more than seven goals. And no, I'm kidding. But um, that's an interesting that's an interesting one for sure. I definitely agree that the, the quality of play is extremely high in Group B, right? You got Phoenix, who are always front runners, Orange County, who uh, maybe looked more impressive at one point in time than they, they have shown recently. You got San Diego, who's competitive, LA Galaxy 2, who throws a wrench into it. And then rounding out Las Vegas Lights FC, who just continue to be unpredictable in many ways. But uh, I'm not taking Group B over Group E. And I'm just like, I'll just lay it out there. Like, I even think you can make a case for Group D just in terms of like, you've got, you've got, you know, San Antonio FC, who's flying high, Austin Bold, who made the playoffs last year and nearly upset Phoenix. That's so quick to leave people's minds how close Austin Bold FC was to upsetting Phoenix in the playoffs last year. Um, Tulsa, who's on the rise. Okay, Sioux, who has been in the playoffs over the last couple of years or few years. Um, yeah, I'm not going to side with Landon on that one. But you know what? If he's not somebody, and I, I will say this, I very much respect the opinion because it's not coach speak. He's not just yeah. out here throwing out cliches. Like he's, he probably does genuinely believe that Group B is the most competitive group. Um, I won't go as far. He hasn't seen Group E. (laughs) Yeah, and I I won't go as far as saying like the the Scott Stewart classic. It's okay, you're allowed to be wrong, but like (laughs) I um I I personally disagree with Landon here. I heard that interview and I was like, Landon, what a guy! Thanks for helping me with my show (laughs) open. What a guy! We love it. Hey, if anyone's going to provide material, it might as well be LD. It might as well be LD. I love it. I knew I knew you'd have uh, some, some good insight on that one. <laughs> and this is the first time I'm hearing that quote too. So just raw reaction. I'm even now just feel like I'm holding back a little bit. But yeah, that's good. No, and I think that's important. Like I purposely hold things back from you on the show because <laughs> I know if I give you an opportunity to prepare, you're going to think through way too many things and try to get too logical on me. And I need like True raw Scott Stewart, you know? No time for analytics at all. <laughs> Just like the raw emotion of the opinion, you know? Yeah. Uh, time time may prove differently. Like if Loyal end up making the playoffs, like they will have done some work over LA and Orange County to get there. But toughest group in the league? I don't even know if they're the second toughest group in the league. So we've um, – we can – listen, he's got my number. He can call me anytime. If he doesn't have my number, that's probably better for both of us. He might just—he might not have it saved, Scott. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably what it is. He's like, who is this 317 number that won't quit calling me, you know? <laughs> the Landon Donovan, Scott Stewart rivalry will go down in sports as one of the epic rivalries. Been a, it's been a good few years, but it's like a, it's a friendly feud. And honestly, like, I, we've talked about this before. Him coming to the office, like, he's a very genuine guy. He's a very real guy. So I'm not surprised that he says something like this, you know? I'm just also not surprised I disagree. Moving right along, let's get into some positive news this week. Scott, did you have uh, any neighbors growing up? Yeah, oh yeah, like yeah. right in the middle of it. Were you in like a, like a, that like natural Midwest suburban like oh, cul-de-sac? 100%. Backyard football, backyard basketball, bike rides to CVS, like all the the whole thing. Flashlight tag at night, like come on now. So you'll love this story then. Um, I I didn't get to grow up with neighbors, so I I didn't get to experience what that was like until I moved to Florida. Um, So you're you're gonna love this one. Um, Okay, so 
this past week, a man actually transformed his driveway into a racetrack for his four-year-old neighbor using chalk and his, you gotta love it, imagination. Um, so I don't, I don't want to butcher his last name here, but uh, Dave Palazzolo. Palazzolo? Dave uh, P. Yeah, DP. Turned his Salt Lake City driveway into a racetrack for his four-year-old neighbor, Quinn. So I guess back in June, he started, like, getting those um, nightly notifications. What is that? Like, your Amazon Nest? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, like the Yeah, yeah. Um, So he started getting some notifications that someone was in his driveway. And every time he looked, it was his neighbor, his four-year-old neighbor, Quinn, riding his bike up and down the cement. And so I guess one day he just decided, well... Quinn, if he was going to use his driveway as a racetrack, it might as well look like one. So I guess he waited one night for it to get completely dark. He used chalk to create a racetrack for uh, his four-year-old neighbor. And apparently he told CBS News that when he came outside, Quinn's reaction was just like, absolutely priceless that his neighbor did that for him uh, apparently a, a pretty extensive racetrack too like multiple tracks um very very intense so uh, obviously just like such a cool gesture and it turns out that their two families didn't even know each other before this so like this is kind of what brought them together and allowed these two neighbors to bond um over this these, you know, four, this four-year-old and, and uh, um, adults love for racing. So I thought that was the most precious story, Scott. And that's that's near and dear, too, because we used to race around the cul-de-sac, like, especially around the time the Indy 500 was coming around, we would just get on our little huffy bikes with, like, literal hand brakes, yeah. just, like, race around in a circle. So that's, that's, I wish I had neighbors like that growing up that would, like, actually outline the track. Instead, I, like, ended up running over somebody's mailbox and, like, running home crying to my parents that I had just like tried to ride the bike with my eyes closed. That's a whole different story. We won't. I'm sure it. it must've been in that moment where your parents were like, Scott is not going to be the future of indie racing. That's Definitely that I at least needed at least one helmet and probably a mouth guard <laughs> as well. I love it. A bunch of positive news spreading around. What a way to get our show going here, Scott. We're going to move right on into week week 12 because we got a lot of thoughts um first and foremost here congratulations to the pittsburgh riverhounds they are the first club to clinch a 2020 usl championship playoff berth of a 5-0 win over hartford on saturday so they you easily can say they they breezed through that one um scott i I, I want I want to give Pittsburgh their moment, but this next one is so perfect that I feel like we just need to get right on in to buy or sell. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I will say that I thought Pittsburgh was going to go full Birmingham, and they didn't. So it's at, that's better for Hartford. That <laughs> thank thank God. <laughs> All right, I got I got a good one for you here. So. Phoenix has a league high of thirty six goals this season. Right, no surprise. Pittsburgh scores goals. We know that. But that league high of 36 goals is actually tied with another championship club. Do you know who it is? I do, actually. You do? Is it because I did that beautiful lead-in for you? It absolutely is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you kind of gave it away in the intro there, but... yeah, but it's it, too seamless. I will say at the beginning in March, it was not a team I would have picked to be leading the league in goals right now. 
So, so that's the, I think the big part when I'm looking at um, the, the team stats right now and you see Pittsburgh and Phoenix tied for a league high 36 goals. I think that you probably could have put everybody on that list, including maybe even Bob Lilly at the beginning of the season saying there was no chance that that was going to be the case, but here we are. Here's the thing in their last five games alone, Pittsburgh has scored 16 goals. In the last five games, that's more than the total goals scored for 13 championship teams in the entire 2020 season. Like an unbelievable stat. So here's my question for you, Scott. Are you going to buy or sell that Pittsburgh will finish the 2020 season with the most goals scored in the USL championship? You know what? And I've just been cursed over the last couple of weeks with buy or sell. I apologize to every club whose name I've spoken out of my horrendously awful, inaccurate mouth. But um, you know what? Just for the sake of it, like I'm going to buy it just because I think it's okay. possible. Like okay. I think it, I think it's certainly possible. And that like, let the record show that on September 15th, 2020, this may be the first time I ever said Phoenix wouldn't lead the league in goal scored at the end of the year. But like, I don't know. I'm inclined to believe that Pittsburgh, especially with the other teams in their group, that they could finish out very strong, and that means that they could pile on some goals. And Pittsburgh doesn't strike me as a team who they qualify for the playoffs and then they're interested in taking their foot off the gas. So um, this one I'll, I'll buy. I think what's interesting, too, about Pittsburgh is – They've had a few good runs these last few years. It's their third straight season, making the postseason. But they, for some odd reason, can't seem to get it going once they get there. And yeah. so it, it makes you wonder now we're, what, four weeks, three weeks out or so um, from the, the playoffs. And it makes you wonder if this is the timing that Pittsburgh has kind of been waiting for. Yeah, and I mean, like, for them to crush Birmingham last year in the opening round, I mean, the game against Louisville was 2-2, so, like, they still found a way, but, like, you're worried that, um, like, I thought last year they used up all their goals in the first game. Yeah. and they, they went and put two up on Louisville, but they couldn't close it out, right? And that, that was a, a little bit more Louisville than I think it was Pittsburgh and their resilience, but, like, I think for Pittsburgh, the thing that we always look at is consistency, right? And so if this is consistently who they are, the league's best goal scoring team and the league's best defensive record, like who is to say that they can't do the exact same thing come October? Bob Lilly's teams always seem to be better built for the postseason because of how they play. But like this is also an unprecedented Bob Lilly team in the way that we've seen them play recently. So I'm going to take the high road and reserve my opinion on how far I think Pittsburgh's going. We're just not quite there yet. But um, yeah, I mean, I am in no position in any way, shape or form to say that Pittsburgh can't do even more than they did last year. All right. We're buying most goals scored in the 2020 USL season for Pittsburgh moving right along. We talked about our guy LD earlier. You know, I'm going to bring his club back up again because San Diego has been on a heck of a run. Hasn't lost a game since August 22nd. Since then they've drawn twice, won twice, a six point swing in week 12 though, to to, to put that in perspective, a second place spot now in group B, but, Probably the biggest note of all in Week 12 alone is they had five goals this past week. We're talking about a team, Scott, that couldn't put the ball in the back of the net if their life 
opinion on it a month ago. The it's almost unbelievable when you think about it. So their their big test is coming through is if they they're going to see Phoenix twice now in a matter of a week and a half or so. So that I think is going to be uh, the ultimate test to figure out if they can kind of continue that momentum. But Scott, my question for you is, are you going to buy yourself San Diego taking at least three points from those two meetings with Phoenix? Nah, I'll sell that one. I'll sell that one. I mean, I think that like the thing for San Diego is they're very aware that the ball is not in their court, right? Like they've played two more games and yes, they get to play Phoenix twice and they get LA one more time, but like, it's just not up to them anymore. So I think they, they need three points. I'm just not willing to go against Phoenix who I think very definitively wants to put their stamp and just like secure group B as quickly as possible. So you know, even getting two points out of those two meetings would be big. If you can just draw Phoenix twice and then hopefully beat LA and maybe have some other teams help take care of business like that, that'd be great. Um, and I mean this with all due respect, like Miguel Berry has been a great addition for them, but I just don't believe that they are capable of beating Phoenix even once out of their two meetings that they've got coming up and, you know, over the span of a week and a half. What about two draws? Not likely, right? Like, I don't want to yeah. even buy that. Like, I think it's possible, but, like, if I'm, if I'm truly sitting here playing, like, the San Diego stock market, like, I'm not hitting invest right now. And I mean that in a, in a like I said, in a very respectful way. And obviously, they've shown that they're capable of doing things that I previously didn't think was possible. But right now I'm just not buying into San Diego being able to take the necessary points that they're going to need to, to solidify their place in group B. They could turn the tide against LA. And like I said, get some help from some other teams. But right now I don't think that that's going to be the case for them. They've shown some promise, but they haven't sold you. Correct. Correct. And maybe the stock's on the rise, but it's just not in a position where I'm like, yeah, I, I need to cash in on that right now. And like, Mm -hmm. make sure that San Diego is still around come the second week of October. Cause again, I just don't believe that to be the case right now. All right, Stu, saving a bit of money there, selling the San Diego question. Your final question of the day. We have a serious hunt right now for the second place spot in group D. Mm -hmm. When you look at the table, it's, it's a weird picture. FC Tulsa's last three matches have been draws. Austin Bold does one better. Their last four have been draws. It kind of seems at this point it's going to be whoever can turn some points first. Uh, might have the better shot of claiming that spot, that, that second playoff spot out of Group D. So my question for you, are you going to buy or sell Austin Bold taking that second place spot over FC Tulsa to earn a playoff bid? Wow. By Austin over Tulsa? Yep. No, I'm not going to buy that one either. And that's that's difficult, right? Because I think Austin, when I look at the longevity, like I think Austin has a better chance of advancing further in the postseason than Tulsa would. But the tough part is, like, Austin has San Antonio twice and OKC once and SKC two. SKC two, we've talked about, like, loves to play the spoiler. Yeah. Looking at Tulsa, they've got 
RGB coming up. They've got San Antonio once, and then they've got the Black Gold Derby, and then closing it out against Colorado Springs. Like looking at the schedules, I'm taking Tulsa's schedule every single day of the week. I think Austin may be the better team, but in a very similar vein as San Diego, it may already be too late to get done what you need to get done to get there. So I'm going to sell Austin going over Tulsa. Um, that could be the nail in the coffin for Tulsa, just knowing my history and saying stuff like this. But like, I think just looking at who they have left, even though Bold have a game in hand, um, that game in hand is technically San Antonio. So no, I don't have – and San Antonio, after their heartbreak, I think is going to want to get back on the right foot. Yeah, I have no questions when it comes to San Antonio. I just think when you look at, at the table right now, you have to be so frustrated if you're Austin Bull because you are, you're seriously that close. Like, the opportunity is there, but to have San Antonio twice en route to get there, I just think it might be too tall of a task. And, but at the same time, like, all, and I'm definitely sticking with Tulsa. I'm not, I'm not wishy-washing my answer here. You end up beating San Antonio one of those times, and now you have more confidence than ever, right? Like, if, if Austin gets San Antonio's number on Wednesday night, then Austin's going to feel like, of course we can do this. Like, we just used our game in hand to beat the best team in the Western Conference from a, a record standpoint. Who's to say that we can't go on and do this? It's just the fact that they have no more direct correlation or direct power over Tulsa in terms of a head-to-head meeting. That's where I'm coming from there. So it's just a, it's a taller order for Bold FC. Um, so I'm playing it safe and sticking with Tulsa. I think the two biggest questions right now in the race of playoffs is Group D and Group E. In my opinion, I think those are are those, that second and third place spot in those two groups right now have the most questions and, and the most ability to go one way or the other. Yeah, it's just right down to the wire. And that's why it's so like, we talk about this a lot, but I, I really don't get tired of talking about it. That's why it's so significant that only the top two teams make it, right? You could very well be the third place team in your group and in a 10-team playoff would be very comfortable being six, seven, or eight, but that's not how this is going to work. So it's like you're in the top two or you're out. And that might be, that might be harsh on Bold FC, who very well could have been in one of these playoff places, but that's not the lay of the land in 2020. Sorry, I just don't see it happening. All right, Scott Stu, laying down the hammer. Man, you I'm are uh, – y- yeah, you're really coming out with some shots today. Not holding back. No, this is what happens when you don't give me time to prep anything. You're just like, I'm just going to toss these questions at you. And I just but like – It's I, so much better that way. <laughs> I feel like – and I don't feel like I'm a natural heartbreaker, you know, but I just feel like today I've just been really just tough on some teams. So, once again, this is just uh, the onus is on them to go out and prove us both wrong. And I welcome that uh, more than they could ever possibly believe. All right. Week 12 in the books and with it one step closer to the 2020 playoffs, we're going to move into a little bit of a lighter note here because obviously a big announcement today with Oakland Root. So it only makes sense that we have two of the brains behind the entire operation on the show today. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be joined by co-founder and CMO Adris Argandawal and co-founder and chief purpose officer Mike Geddes. So stick around. Hi, I'm Landon Donovan from USL San Diego, and you're listening to Steal Some Time. 
Welcome back to Steal Some Time. There's been a ton of buzz around the Oakland Roots announcement in the last 24 hours. So we felt it was only fitting to have two of the men on the pod today that helps bring Oakland Roots to life. So we are so excited to be joined by co-founder and CMO Adris Argibiwal, and then of course co-founder and Chief Purpose Officer Mike Geddes. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. We have a lot to cover today between the two of you, but before we get to the now, I want to shed some light on the beginning a little bit here. So Adrice, first and foremost, how did Oakland Roots initially come to fruition in 2018? So, um, you know, this project obviously is a a very special project to us. Um, As you can tell, Mike, myself, uh, fellow co-founders, Ben O'Nagel, Benjamin Aziz, Tommy Hodel, we're all very normal people, but we just had a tremendous love and passion for the city of Oakland. Uh, We love the sport of soccer. And we asked the question, why hasn't a professional vehicle team existed in the in the area? Um, That question over time led to communication with the community, um, you know, around, you know, the, the premise of like, why hasn't this existed? And what can we do to really create an identity that embodies the spirit and the magic that is Oakland. And by magic, I mean uh, the inclusivity, the diversity, the arts, culture, and the tremendous movements that have come out of the city. Um, We wanted to embody that in a brand and built the brand in a way that truly brought the community together and created a identity that was a representative of the people that exist in it. Um, We had our first season, which was a tremendously successful season. Um, we had only about six games, but we sold out those games, um, you know, 6,000 folks out of Laney College, uh, iconic stadium in downtown Oakland. Um, and those, those games really, you know, embodied the spirit of what we have in, in Oakland, the music, um, you know, people came to see each other. It wasn't just about the product on the field. Um, all of that made our, our experience so special. Um, and, and we're excited to be here. We're excited to join USL Championship. We think it's the next stage of, you know, our, our growth as an organization. And I think that it's going to really lead to um, incredible things for the city of Oakland and uh, for a different breed and brand of soccer, which is about building something that exists beyond just the field. It's the community asset. It has Oakland in its name. Um, we're here for as long as Oakland wants us to be here. Um, and, and we're excited about it. So. Thanks for, for having us. Of course. And, and I think, Idris, what's really interesting at the end, you mentioned how you guys are doing things differently. And there's definitely yeah. a different component to what you guys do. And I think Mike can really attest to that because, Mike, you play a massive role in overseeing the social purpose strategy of the club, which might not be a familiar line for a lot of people in, <laughs> in the sports industry. But, I mean, we're talking 15 years of working for organizations and teaching them how how to use soccer and sport for social good so i'm curious from your side of things why is this mentality and i mean corporate responsibility if you want to call it that why is it so important to to oakland and oakland yeah i mean first off i'm obviously uh the transplant in the co-founder group i'm not from oakland i'm i'm originally a brit um so i grew up with this idea that a soccer club comes from the community right the club that i support is a hundred years old and I support them, whether they're good, whether they're bad, because it's just been a part of my community. My dad supported them, my granddad supported them. 
Um, and, and that's always been sort of important to me that, 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 that quality of, of what a team means to the community is, is much deeper than whether they're good this season or bad this season. And, you know, during the course of my career, I was fortunate to work in a lot of different countries and I got exposed to the really incredible and unique power that soccer has as a vehicle for social education. Um, it is an incredibly easy, cost-effective way to engage young people. It can be an amazing tool with which to do good. And I spent a number of years in Africa working on the social legacy campaign of the 2010 FIFA World Cup, did a lot of work in um, underserved communities, really trying to transform them through the game of soccer, not, not because we were trying to find good players, but because we knew that using the sport as a vehicle, you could do amazing things to, to help uh, people in society. And honestly, when I moved to the States, in the back of my mind, there was this dream that one day I would have the opportunity to work on a project where that could come to life in the US. I mean, again, as a Brit, the US market is so fascinating because it's so dynamic. There's new teams all the time, which is a kind of amazing thing to us who are used to these like very fixed structures. So I was really excited about the, the chance to maybe rethink what a, what a professional sports team can be and kind of embed that social purpose in the middle. So it doesn't become like a corporate social responsibility department that you kind of have to add on the end just to make sure that your shareholders and fans are, are happy with you. It actually becomes the central organizing principle about the whole business. And when I was lucky enough to move to Oakland and meet Idris and Ben and the other co-founders and hear, hear about their idea, um, it, was, it was what I've been looking for. And obviously, as I was then lucky enough to live in the city of Oakland, I understood that, man, this is the place where this has to happen because it is um, you know, a market which has, I would say, experienced the other side of, of sports business in terms of teams that maybe um, didn't put the community first or, or kind of did that nominally. But when it came to it, you know, they were always looking for better opportunities. Uh, and I really saw that there was an opportunity here to do things differently, not because it was just the right thing to do, but because it was the smart thing to do and that people would respond to that type of brand and that type of organization more positively. And they would, they would kind of engage with it in a way that, that, that I understand why people engage with sports teams, which is not because they might be great this season, um, or win a championship, but because it's a fundamental asset to the community and part of the city. So what I've tried to do um, as a kind of outsider is bring in some of that expertise from the last 15 years and all the best things that I've been able to learn from around the world and all this work and apply it to this incredible city and really learn from all the amazing people who've been here for years using the game to reach kids in underserved communities. Those are the people we talked to when we first had the idea and really asked them what do you want from a professional sports team in Oakland that would be purpose-driven? And by just listening for a long time, we were able to come up with something that really felt like um, it was the, the organization that people had been waiting for. And I think that's been reflected in the response we had in year one. But, you know, my work very much, I mean, chief purpose officer, you don't get that in many sports teams. Um, what that means is basically that our purpose um, which is to unite the magic of Oakland and the power of sports as a force for social good goes through everything we do. It is about what we do in the community. It is about the nonprofits we support. It is about the policy positions that we advocate for, but it's also about the players that we sign, the type of athlete we're looking for, the type of vendors we partner with. Everything is kind of in service of that bigger goal. So for me, it's been an absolute dream to both work with the founding team and to be able to work in the city of Oakland and, it genuinely is, as Idris was saying, a, a very unique place. Um, there are some incredible thinkers here, an incredible history of social activism, 
um, it really feels like, um, I don't know, just a dream come true to be working on the project. And now to see after not, not long, the incredible response we had in year one and now the opportunity to, to join USL, it's, it's very exciting. It's really interesting when you speak about the early days and how important it was for you guys to get active in the community and, and you know, have those conversations with fans and, and figure out exactly what they want. I think it's, it's interesting because you talk about the integration of Oakland as a whole into your club. Because per capita, Oakland is home to more artists than any other city in, in the U.S. So, Idris, how do you think fans are going to see that all across the USL present in your club? Yeah, I mean, we, we have that living in, in several different formats in our club. Um, we think about merchandising a bit differently. Um, traditionally, I think, you know, sports organizations have framed the way they create merchandising in a specific way. But we've taken a different lens and said, well, what if we created something that artists can wear and feel proud wearing when they're on set? And we saw that reflective in a few g Easy music videos, uh, Kehlani music videos, you know, Damian Lillard, an amazing athlete out of the, uh, the, the Portland Trailblazers, wore it during the playoffs and shouted, you know, as he walked past the camera, you know, make sure you get that shirt on the timeline. And so, you know, all of these different cultural moments happen, um, I, in my belief, because we think about design, because we think about uh, the end consumer, and we think about aesthetic, like really clean stuff and good design generally makes people feel better about themselves. And I always joke about this, but I want people to wear Oakland Roots merchandise and feel like when they wear it, um, they can be a better version of themselves. You don't have to be from Oakland to fully, you know, understand what we're trying to do with our club. It's, you know, subscribing to the notion of inclusivity and diversity. It's respecting the arts and cultures. It's all of that that makes you an Oakland fan. And we've completely approached it in that way from the beginning, whether it was reaching out to musicians and influencers at an early stage or including them in pregame rituals in a way that felt very organic. Um, every single match we've had, we have included Oakland artists and musicians on East 10th Street, which is a street that we block off for a block party every match. We have local drummers, musicians, artists uh, displaying their work. Um, and then pregame, we have a ritual where we hype up the crowd with uh, an artist. Um, you know, we had Zion Eye. We had, um, of course, the Grouch, um, Mers, who's an amazing um, LA Galaxy fan, but also a Roots fan has performed for them on several occasions. And then of course, uh, the likes of Mr. Fab, you know, he was an icon in the Oakland community um, and has represented a lot of positive messages um, and is at the forefront of, of the hip hop and hyphy movement that have come out of uh, the Bay Area. And so all of these components um, make uh, the brand live through different uh, avenues, um, including the arts and cultures. And it also comes down to, you know, thinking about the senses. Um, the team um, gets super annoyed with me at times when I bring up Disneyland, but it's truly, you know, that's our goal is to try to make people feel like they're, they're coming out to Disneyland and they're activating all of their senses, touch, feel, smell. Um, you know, the, the audio that you hear in the stadium needs to be reflective of the brand and the community. All of these components make us um, very excited about how we're going to take that to the next level as we get to USL championship in, in 2021. So it, it's quite exciting. I mean, when you guys look at your, your branding, your, your merch, everything, 
you you have not seen anything like that in the soccer space. It's so unique. I think it's so true to to who Oakland is. I mean, I, I think I saw an Oakland Roots beanie featured in a Vice article <laughs> recently. Um, yeah. Clothing's featured in Mundial. It's much more of a like a, a lifestyle and a brand rather than just a soccer team. It's, it's kind of what that feels like to me. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing here is that in the early days, uh, when we were uh, based out of our office in downtown Oakland, we, you know, I'd look out the window and I'd see one out of five people every day um, having Roots merch. And oftentimes, majority of them really couldn't quite understand what Oakland Roots was um, until you told them. And that was the trick that we actually played on folks is just good design, um, you know, clothing that represents the community and makes people feel proud of where they come from. That's priority one, um, because that's how you get people to actually wear the clothing. And then number two is they find out that it's a soccer team and they're kind of by default an automatic fan because they have the shirt. And so this kind of marketing tactic worked. Um, really well in the early days, thanks to our amazing partnership with the local brand Oaklandish, who is a local um, Oakland pride retailer um, and creates amazing clothing and has several retail locations. Um, so we're, we're super, um, you know, excited to take that relationship to the next level as well, because I think we can push the envelope with how sports organizations think about merchandising and the impact that it has on revenues, on sustainability of the club, and in general, the marketing. Um, there's touch points everywhere. We were featured in 442 at some point, a global magazine, and we were a small club at the time. So it makes you wonder, is that how, do you, how do you get to that format? And I truly believe it's, it's creating impactful design that gets you there. Well, take me to the process of getting people at their stature involved in your project. Yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily me or Mike or anyone else. I mean, we all have connections, but it's Oakland. Um, Oakland, I feel like unlike anywhere else in the world, has this amazing ability to make people feel truly proud of where they come from. Um, and these folks, despite the level of, of fame they get at, they've always uh, seemed to come back home and contribute and give back. Um, it's because it's, it's in our DNA. It's how we were raised. It's um, how Oakland sees itself out in the world. It's very proud and, and prideful. And these folks, anytime they can give back to Oakland, they do it. We've seen it, um, you know, in several different formats, but they love to plug new artists. They love to plug new brands. Um, and when you talk about new sports teams, we obviously know the history of sports in Oakland. is It's an iconic sports city. We lost two iconic sports teams, um, and there was a big gap to fill there. And luckily, I think it's just like the timing thing that the roots were, were sprouting at that time. Um, that these artists and influencers out of Oakland were able to get behind in a very organic way. Um, it wasn't forced. It was them wanting to do it out of the, the goodness of their hearts um, and their love for Oakland and the brand that we're, we were trying to build. And so, um, you know, it's a very organic and natural process with these folks. Well, sure. it's natural makes it believable. That's, that's the big yeah. key. All of it too. Absolutely. Oakland Roots brings a, such a unique identity and, and passionate fan base as well. Mike, what can supporter groups and fans across the league expect from Oakland Roots on a match day or match week even? Yeah, I mean, 
for me as a you know again as, as someone who kind of grew up with that very traditional british experience of going to see your football team on a saturday afternoon it's the thing that you guys all watch kind of on on the weekends early in the mornings and and that sort of passionate crowd and and that feeling of of that comes from having like a really passionate local fan base um honestly the the other great thing for me about roots is i just I enjoy watching the games. I mean, I'm working, but for me, it's also very much like that experience of watching a team back home because the crowd is super passionate. Um, you know, it's, it's just an incredible, uh, you know, Idris mentioned, you know, Oakland is a, is a huge sports town and, and, you know, I've loved living here because this, the fan experience really makes me feel like I'm at home because there is that level of passion and dedication and just support for the local team. And it's even, you know, the idea that they kind of support the underdog that, you know, as long as you're working hard and, and leaving everything on the field, they're going to get behind you. And, and that's, that's great for me. And, and I think that it, people will appreciate that. And it really comes across in the, the game day experience that Idris and the rest of the operations team have put together. Um, it's really like nothing I've kind of seen before in, in the United States. I mean, granted, I'm a little bit biased, but um, it's really something, something special. And I think what, what our team has managed to do is is really translate um, all these different elements that make Oakland Oakland into a game day experience, and and it's really just kind of um, yeah putting it in one place and letting people experience it. And I think it's we 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 made a lot of effort to make it also super positive. Um, you know, it is it is edgy. You know, I mean, you know about kind of the Raiders and the black hole and things like that. We wanted to keep the sort of edginess of that of that fan experience but also make it super accessible to families super family friendly we did, made a lot of effort to make sure that the game day experience was also very welcoming super positive um, appreciative and welcoming of everyone very diverse you'll see it in our fan groups in the type of kind of messages you see around the stadium it is all about building this very inclusive welcoming supportive society which to me is what is what Oakland represents. It's, it's, you know, just my own experience. I'm uh, married to a person of color. We have a little boy who's mixed race. And um, when we moved to Oakland, you know, we took a walk around the lake and it was like, wow, we see every single type of person, every color, every different type of combination of couple we could imagine. And we thought, this is the place we want to raise our family. And, and this is the type of community we want to be part of. And I think what I love about Roots is that I, that all comes across in our game day experience. It's super passionate. It's super fun. It's unique. It's creative. It's different. It's welcoming. Uh, it's Oakland. And I hope the rest of the league really gets a chance to appreciate that in, in the same way that I've done. I mean, here's the honest truth to you guys. The, the best part about working for a sports team that you hold close to your heart is also being able to be a fan of that team. And I feel that so much from, from you guys. I, I mean, it's huge. Um, right now, more than ever, how do you think sports teams can be agents of change in society? I mean, we're starting to see that path happen here in the, in the last two weeks even. Um, how do you guys think from your perspective, Idris, how can we see that from you guys? Yeah, I mean, Mike, as our, as our chief purpose officer, I could probably speak to this a bit more. Uh, but from my lens, I see it as it's our duty. Um, for us specifically, we have Oakland in our name. And so as an organization, it's impossible 
to not care about these specific subjects, such as gender and racial equality, equity and justice. Um, we were getting back to play, for instance, here in this past, uh, past several weeks, and we decided as a club that it didn't feel right to get back to play without having the topic of, of racial and gender equality and justice at the forefront. So we created a mixed gender game where we brought together uh, women from across the Bay Area, iconic women, and uh, we were planning on playing a mixed gender game and we were going to use that platform as a way to launch our justice fund, um, which, you know, essentially funnel these funds towards uh, causes that, you know, advance the discussion of racial and gender uh, justice. Um, that felt important to us, not because we knew we had to do it, because Oakland would, will always hold you accountable if you act counter to those, those principles, but it's because it's who we are as an organization, truly and truthfully. We spent a lot of time thinking through this term of, of transparency um, and authenticity. And oftentimes these are buzzwords used in, in, in the community and in sports. But now more than ever, as you saw in the past several weeks with the NBA, the USL, you know, other organizations, um, sports has become political. Um, and you know, more than ever, players have an opportunity to be more than an athlete. And these athletes are folks that young kids are looking up to every single day. And it's impossible for them to not have a care uh, about how the world um, can, can be and how it can change. And so as an organization, we are not apologetic about it. Um, we go full force in that subject. We try to ensure that our players have a platform, our staff has a platform, and that we're doing everything we can to advance that discussion. It's our duty because we have Oakland in our name. And furthermore, it's our duty because we have a platform. And anyone that uh, abuses that, in my opinion, um, shouldn't entertain having that platform in the first place. So we're, we're happy. We're going to be bullish in that effort to try to advance these discussions. It's important to us. It's important to Oakland. Um, and we're excited to now have a bigger platform to advance some of these discussions. But Mike, I know you probably have some thoughts on this. So, yeah. No, I think you said it. I mean, when we go, if we go back to the very first um, time that we even talked about this idea, which was three years ago, we had an, an event and we brought together people and asked them, you know, this is what we're thinking of doing in Oakland. Like, what do you think? Like, how would you want to see this come to life? And from day one, it was very clear that people expected us to take a stand on social justice issues and they wouldn't accept anything else. Um, and that's very much the way they saw the sports team that they, that they wanted to come to life in their city. So that was always in our DNA. I mean, we had a purpose from day one, that purpose kind of drives everything we do and it, and it sits above everything, even above winning games. And, and, you know, we want to do that, of course, like every sports team, but we also have this higher purpose. And so it meant that, when moments like such as happened in the last six months with the coronavirus pandemic, the response to that, then the, you know, the latest murders, uh, Jacob Blake, Breonna Taylor, uh, the social justice movements, like it was actually easy for us to respond to that because that's who we are and that's who we have to be. Um, so I think what we're seeing right now with a lot of other teams is a kind of struggle to keep up with where the athletes are at and where their fans are at um, because they're not designed with that at the heart. So they need to think about, well, what statement can we put out? What action can we take in order to kind of get everything back to normal? And, and we don't want to get back to normal. We're trying to create something different where these issues and, you know, this, this kind of fight for, for justice and equality and using our platform in whatever small way we can to help 
advance those causes that that is who we are so it's something that is is essential to us um and it's something that we are as idris said very excited about using our platform to promote and um yeah just very excited to share that now with with usl of course we can't wait to see you guys take that stage in 2021 you're officially part of the usl championship and obviously there are big big plans over in oakland and oakland roots so we are so excited to have you guys on board Idris, Mike, thank you guys so much for your time today. Congrats on a, on a successful launch. I, 2021 is going to be a blast. Um, I truly can't wait to get my hands on some merch and see what you guys bring to the table next year. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us, Kelsey. We're excited. Thank to you, Kelsey. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. This is Josh Sugg from Manchester United, and you're listening to Steal Some Time. All right, welcome back in to steal some time. I felt like we could have had that conversation forever, to be honest. And we, we told them when we got off the interview that we need to have them on at least two to three more times into next season because these two guys have so much experience and so much information to share. And um, I, I thought Mike's perspective was so interesting because his role as a chief, chief purpose officer is like – you don't hear about that. Like, and I think that speaks to what Oakland Roots is about. They're a, a social good focused team. You know, they look at themselves as an organization and um, a much bigger than soccer type organization. So I, I, I'm so excited to see how that affects other teams in, in 2021. And um, you know, if you see more clubs kind of taking a, a chapter from their book. Well, in 2020 has probably been, one of, if not the biggest years for clubs to really hone in on like social change and like what it means to be not just a representation of your fan base, but truly of your city and of your community. And that's like one of the things we love about Oakland Roots so much. And um, certainly two guys who have no shortage of talking points, right? Like they could, they could go all day on what Roots are about and like what that means to them. But just interesting to hear their perspectives, obviously um, have a lot of respect for both Idris and Mike, two fantastic guys. And the culture that they've created permeates throughout the entire of their organization. So I'd be remiss if we didn't credit a lot of their other staff members that are involved in that club. And it's a, it's a small group, right? Like roots aren't running like 20 deep on staff. They are, they are incredibly um, close knit because they just don't have like a very high number of employees. So um, just want to shout them out. Like I said, appreciate their time. They're two incredible guys and a lot more to come from them in the future for sure. All hands on deck when it comes to the Oakland Roots operation. That is w without question. And mm -hmm. a lot of, of brilliance and creativity in that room. Um, and of, of course, you're going to be seeing a lot of cool merch drop this week with the, with the club as well. So if you're interested, be sure to, to keep an eye out on their um, social channels for that as well. Big moment for Oakland across social media this week. A few other really big moments. Uh, first and foremost, Lebo Lotos has celebrated his 150th career USL championship appearance this week. Um, a, a huge, huge nod to, to have in a league. Um, only, I believe, 32, 33 other members um, are, are in that class with him. So a, a big shout out to, to Lebo for that accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, somebody who has, you know, not been around in an incredible amount of places, but where he's been, he's been super impactful. And um, he's a player who, like, his on-the-field con uh, contributions are huge, but, like, the, the way that people in his community and the community he's in speak about him 
is just a testament. Like this is one of those guys where they reach 150 and you're like, you're almost more excited for Lebo as the person than Lebo as the player. And it, that's just really, really cool. So shout out to him. Obviously he hopes that he can rack up a few more and then go to the postseason. but um, 150 is a massive achievement. Huge, huge number. Elsewhere across social this week, uh, we've, we finally secured that playoff structure. It is official. The announcement was released this week. We have a set idea of what the 2020 playoffs are going to look like. So this year you can expect a 16-team bracket. Um, so that's, you know, same as before, but a, a single elimination bracket. It, the way it's going to work this year, though, is we have four group winners in each conference earning hosting rights for the Eastern and, and Western Conference quarterfinals. And then following the opening round, hosting rights will be determined based by regular season record as well. Um, and then everyone can kind of look at the table right now and think of, okay, the top two teams in each group are going to receive bids and, you know, going to kind of move from there. Uh, but the conference quarterfinals, they get going October 8th through the 11th. So you're, we are under a month. The, it, like we are, you know, full speed ahead. You can practically see it. Um, and also we are going to be looking at an earlier championship final this year mm-hmm. uh, compared to the last year's past. So it's still to be determined. But if you look at the conference finals right now, you're talking somewhere between October 22nd or the 25th. So you can imagine, a, a, you know, a, a five day or so lapse there for, for the final for broadcast purposes, but um, a little bit earlier uh, of a final this year, rather than teetering around that uh, Thanksgiving time that we normally see. So if for some reason it ends up uh, over in the East, they might be a little happier this year. <laughs> There's a, there might be less of a chance of freezing if, when you're in Louisville. Oh, did I say no, when, if? I don't know. Yeah, no guarantees though, and I'm not I'm, I'm not hedging my bets on that. But like, if the Rowdies want to host the final, like that'd be okay with me. But um, no I bias at all. But like, yeah, 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 yeah. Warm, no, so. I just want to stay warm is really where I'm at. But what I really think is interesting, and I I'm not gonna out him, but I got a text from a from a club PR head earlier this week that was like, so um, there's this other really good team. Like we're trying to avoid them until the conference finals if we got uh-huh. there. What does the playoff structure look like? And I think it's interesting that, like, for example, in the Western Conference, you have 1A versus, you know, B2, and then you've got B1 versus B2, and then they go on to play each other, right? So, like, there's no there's no possibility, like, Indy and Pittsburgh could meet, for example, but, like, Indy wouldn't see the Rowdies until potentially as far as, like, the conference finals, and the same thing for the West for, like, San Antonio and Phoenix or whoever it is. And I think that that's huge because – when you look at sort of how our teams are aligned right now, like Pittsburgh and the Rowdies, that'd be a killer conference semifinal, right? But Give instead, me that conference final. <laughs> but, that, but that's what I'm saying. Like, instead, it just only adds to the buildup as we get closer and closer to the conference final. And, like, I think the playoffs this year are going to be more exciting than ever because I would love to see Reno-Phoenix as a conference final, but instead I could see that as a conference semifinal – and that would mean like that Phoenix and San Antonio could be a conference final, assuming all goes well. And you know what I mean? Like, I just think that the way that the groups are stacked up regionally in our favor for the playoffs as well, it's just going to be very, very cool to see this all go down. And the way that it's shaken out, I think is going to make the 2020 postseason just like insanely exciting to watch. God, like just 
putting some of those hypothetical scenarios in my head and thinking about the possibility, you know, of San Antonio and Phoenix seeing each other. I'm, I'm all uh, on board with that. And of course, you know, this structure is a little bit different when you talk about the group scenarios and such. So um, I'm more of a visual person. Uh, if, if you guys listening need to kind of see what that looks like, we do have that article up on the website with that detailed bracket. So that might help you get, you know, to, to, to where you need to be when you're looking at that postseason picture. But yeah. Does it help or hurt Indy that they can't play Louisville in the Eastern Conference Final? Does that help them exercise their demons? Should they potentially meet in the conference semifinal? Or do you think Indy would just be like, we really want revenge, like we need to beat Louisville to have it be the one step away? I'm a little a little bit more pessimistic when I'm looking at that. Like I would rather see them in the final rather than the semifinal solely because I want to get to the final. And I just think there's that, like, obviously you have to get over that hump at at some point, but I think I'd rather get as far along as possible before having to hit that hump personally. Of course, that's assuming Indy makes the playoffs. So I don't, I don't want to like throw out too many hypotheticals until we've got the bracket set up, but um, this is the say, bracket I, challenge ever. I was going to say, doesn't Indy need to beat Louisville a couple more times in the regular season to even make that a possibility? Well, we'll see. another meeting this week. We'll see. Yeah, you got to talk. At least one Lipa FC mention was necessary. Big games. Yeah, I mean, what? They have two two losses and a draw in their Lipa FC 2020 record. So it's been a great year for Indy so far. Not great. It's, it's, it's not great. Um, but it, it, it obviously that takes us into the week ahead. And that, that Lipa FC, what, the fourth Lipa FC matchup we've seen in 2020? Fourth and final. So, that, this is it, folks. So uh, Indy needs that, obviously, because St. Louis also is right on their tail. Um, and so it really, we, we talk about the, that group and like how it could really go either way. Um, St. Louis is going to be hoping for, for Indy to drop three points in that matchup, I would have to imagine. Um, but you also, like when you look at the table this week, you've got a number of teams that are just one point away from uh, clinching a playoff spot. Reno, Sacramento, San Antonio, and Tampa Bay are all within one. One. So you almost imagine that um, all four reach them this week. I, if I had to put my money on anybody, which you're not allowed, not allowed to do here at USL HQ, but important, important clarification right there. Clarification. That is the um, most clearly underlined, bolded statement of the podcast in history. <laughs> um, I would obviously go with uh, Tampa Bay when I'm looking at the matchups this week. They got Atlanta on Wednesday, um, so they can get that point with just a draw. Atlanta also is officially eliminated. So, um, I when I'm looking at the table this week, I think that's a that, that's a big one. Um, another one's got though on Wednesday Hartford and New York, which I think could uh, hold a lot of marbles in, in this matchup. It's a big Group F meeting between two clubs that are vying for for a playoff spot right now. And we talked about it earlier. New York could have a massive opportunity here if they if they can jump with three points. Yeah, I mean it's almost difficult to imagine Hartford after their start not having a place in the postseason and. There's still like, there's so much work that would have to be done for New York to get there. Like Hartford would have to have like a pretty, pretty heavy collapse, but should New York beat them, that is maybe the only way that they keep their foot in the door to the postseason, right? Like it would close the gap. Hartford would still have a game in hand and a, and a four point advantage, but it would still close the gap enough where New York could say, okay, we have at least a little bit of hope. And just knowing Hartford, like I'm, 
I'm fully confident that they'll be there, especially with, you know, the rest of the group mates that they have, like they can, they can beat Philly. Um, I don't think they play Loudon again, but I know they play Pittsburgh one more time. So it's like, there's not a whole lot of room for New York, but if we love the hypothetical, at least I love the hypothetical game. And if we're looking at it and New York beats Hartford and then Hartford fails to beat Philly one out of their two meetings and fails to beat Pittsburgh, like New York and Hartford do play one more time. And it's the, the last game of the regular season. So if all shakes out, like New York could in theory play their way in on the final day. I don't, I said all that and I just took up a lot of wind and a lot of time to say Hartford's going to beat New York <laughs> and put it to bed. But you know what? You might as well just toss it out there because why not think through all the possibilities? It's Lay out all of the scenarios. Like, I think you just convinced way. New York and all New York fans and maybe Hartford fans that it could be a possibility. <laughs> Listen, folks, think it all the way through because we only get to do this once in 2020. Oh, my God. They, they aren't the only one that has a big group meeting also, though, on Wednesday night. San Antonio and Austin Bold. We talked earlier about how Austin Bold has an opportunity to gain some ground on FC Tulsa if they get their act together a little bit. Um, so so some big points on, uh, on the table there in Group D. If San Antonio drops those points, you're talking about two losses in a row for San Antonio, which they haven't seen at all this season. I'm not – sold that that's going to be the response to their loss from this past week. But um, I imagine Austin's going to go on the road and hope for uh, even a point out, out of that game. And that's really what it is, right? Like it's a hope more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin would technically jump Tulsa in the group D standings if they got a point just on, on you'd have to go to the third tiebreaker and go goals four. But it's like, I think um, – I think San Antonio is just going to want to just, again, more just a confidence boost than anything. Like, so unfortunate, literally last minute of the game to go down to El Paso. Like, a game they know they shouldn't have lost and a game that, like, sometimes the ball just didn't fall your way. Um, a great opportunity for them to, to get a win at Toyota Field and just, like, feel good about who they are again. Two big ones on Saturday night, uh, North Carolina and Charlotte, which for some reason North Carolina cannot get uh, points against a a Charlotte side that is continuing to impress, I think, everybody in in championship play this season. So a a big matchup. Uh, North Carolina needs those points. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, I think North Carolina is probably already done. Um, And I – they could beat Charlotte and, and keep themselves alive, but in a very similar vein as New York, like there'd just be so much that has to happen. I'm overly confident in Charlotte, not only after your pep talk last week, but after their performance <laughs> against Birmingham, like Charlotte could well and take this group G, which I would have never pegged them to have done, you know, back when this all came down in, in July. So a big test for North Carolina, but Charlotte could really put the stamp and just own their state um, for the first time in a little bit of, you know, like a, it's been a while since Charlotte's like own that state and that rivalry. So um, big test for North Carolina, but Charlotte could very well just put the stamp down. Do you know the odds of first place in that group right now? No, I don't. 50-50, hopefully. Birmingham, 47% for first place. Charlotte Independence, 48%. Oh, yeah. geez. That's crazy. But also like – they're tight. It's very tight. Charlotte has this game in hand. So, like, I'll watch. I'll watch. I'll tune in. ESPN+. I, Plus. I don't know who I would take. Uh, at this point, I I honestly think I lean toward Charlotte in that race. 
Well, and like, it's just, you don't want to manipulate the table, right? Because you can get in a very sticky situation. But like, Charlotte wants to win that group because Charlotte doesn't want to play the Tampa Bay Rowdies in the first round of the playoffs. And Birmingham, I'm assuming, doesn't want to drop into second because they also don't want to play the Tampa Bay Rowdies. The question then becomes, if you're Birmingham, do you feel more comfortable against somebody like the Rowdies or do you want to take on a Charlotte or a Charleston battery who are, you know, well and away going to finish in second group in group H or second place in group H. So it's like you have to start playing the scenario game a little bit. And that's, that's when you get into like the real weeds of the situation. Are we more comfortable being in second and facing Tampa Bay or are we more comfortable trying to win this out and win the group? Charleston could still finish first in group H folks. It's not over. I love the scenario situation. That's the best part when you're on the brink of the postseason. Everything's on the line. Scenarios are all over the place. Um, and and you get a nerd like me who just like fills out the full spider web of possibilities. <laughs> like it's this is the best time of the year for sure. It is. It is. It's the best time of the year. Week thirteen begins Tuesday evening, ten p.m. Eastern, and uh, we got a full slate this week, you guys. Um, and some questions can be answered. As many as I think uh, five uh, or so teams could clinch this week. So, so five to six teams. So a lot to look forward to in week 13. But before yeah. we close out today, Matt Calvo, it is your time. Hey, so uh, I, was, I was very intrigued by your uh, discussion at the beginning of the show and your, your uh, respective football teams, because without planning, that's going to be the subject of today's debate. Um, oh, my God, I dressed for the occasion. I know. I was very impressed with your, your head, headgear selection today. Um, and, and also ironic to the tone of the conversation as we started, um, the, the question today is, or the, the topic today is, I want you to each make the case for your respective team to make the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> oh, I'm done. I got it. <laughs> and, and, given, and given the, the recent histories of your two franchises, I'm really intrigued to hear these arguments and the most compelling argument. Uh, for why your teams will win the Super Bowl, or go to. We won't say win. We'll say, just say go to uh, the Super Bowl. Um, I'm very very anxious to hear what these reasons will be. And Scott Stewart is just shaking his head. I mean, Rivers had a good week one for sure, but you're literally asking me to pull a Max Kellerman and say that a Philip Rivers-led Indianapolis Colts offense is going to, and really, I mean, just as much the defense, is going to send them to the Super Bowl. I'll, yes. need, um, I'll need a little bit of prep time. Yes, uh, that, that is what I'm asking for. Okay. All right. Um, do you, yeah. Kelsey, you won last week? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go for it because this is just – a so out there question that there is going to be um, no legitimacy to my answer. So I love those are the best kinds of answer, <laughs> answers. Yeah, yeah. All right. When you're ready. Expect the unexpected. That is the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, we cannot win a playoff game. We haven't won in um, 15 and a half years. Um, and it's going to happen this year because the savior is here. He has been dropped to us from the heavens above and he is going to ride it to the Super Bowl because guess what? This guy wins championships. He did it last year. He was our Heisman Trophy winner and he's going to raise the trophy for the Cincinnati Bengals in 2020, 2021. Time. If there's one that can do it, it's the future. 
I, I, I knew even before formulating this question that that would be Kelsey's answer. I have, yeah. there's, what else cool. am I going to write on? There's literally... <laughs> That's well, there's it also, right now. There's also the fact that he's been like your avatar for over the, a year now, like a year and a half, something like that. Oh my God. Did you just put me on blast to a little bit. all little of our bit. listeners? I'm a little embarrassed. A little bit. Um, <laughs> also, before we go on, I just wanted to uh, make note that we did have the farm reference of the day earlier in the episode. Yeah. Oh. Also true. Oh, oh, did we win? Yeah, you talked about not having any neighbors. Oh, that was a Sly Farm reference. That was yeah. a Sly Farm reference. All right. Scott Stewart representing the Indianapolis Colts. Are you ready to make your argument? <laughs> Go Colts. Call me Chris Ballard when, if you need any tips. I'll redirect when, you somewhere else. Uh, when, you're, when you're ready. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I actually, I feel a lot better about arguing for the Colts than the Bengals, right? Like Phillip Rivers, he had a great week one. Um, the Colts defense needs a little bit of work, but like Hines, Mack, Jonathan Taylor, it's a decent running core. They need to hit the triple digit number. Um, Paris Campbell, T.Y. Hilton, T.Y., big T.Y. guy. So I think, it's, I think it's possible. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. And I love Jack Doyle as well. I just think that um, if you're going to do it as the Colts, you're going to do it the old Indianapolis fashion, which is just grinded out football, right? You need a good, strong passing game. You need the defense to step up. Time. I believe in Darius Leonard in the defense. I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but I'd love for them to make the playoffs. So that'd be cool. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to blatantly go with a bias on this one, and uh, I'm not even going to hide it. Um, Joe Burrow ripped out the hearts of Florida fans last Ooh. year. You're and welcome. Uh, therefore, I cannot uh, ever endorse Joe Burrow's success. Uh, so no offense, Joe. Nothing personal. That's just how it is. Had you said, Kelsey, that you were going to go to the Super Bowl because of Carlos Dunlap? You, a little bit different. You know, you would, you, you would have had a, a chance. But, listen, uh, I love Carlos Dunlap, but he hasn't been able to do that for us for the last what look, six, seven I'm, years. Like, I'm just, I I'm just after the, the fact, telling you what you needed to win the debate, and. Uh, you didn't do it, so Scott Stewart wins. Hey, go Colts, you know? I, Come on, go horse. We're in it to win it. I felt like I was set up to lose this. Like, you knew going into this question what I was going to say. So, like, Scott didn't even need to argue for him to win this one. I mean, I, I needed to argue still. Like, the argument still needed to be made. It was just that mine was a better argument, so. Yeah, it, it just didn't take much effort to, to win it this time. Just be glad I didn't come on here and say something like, I believe in Andrew Luck and the Colts. Also. <laughs> right? Like I'm at least that in touch with football in 2020. That's true. I might not be in touch. Talk to me in like eight weeks and see where I'm at. <laughs> All right, y'all. Week 13's underway. Uh, ESPN Plus Series XM. Uh, we got it all for you this week. So stay tuned um, and – Congratulations to Oakland Roots, the newest member of the USL Championship coming in 2021. Um, for Kelsey Steele, Scott Stewart, Matt Cavill, that'll do it for us this week, guys. Catch you next time.